Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brennan Porter. And we are on episode nine. Episode nine means we are a new podcast. And you know what, guys? We need a little help on iTunes to get some reviews out there. So give us a hand. Help us out. If you can get on there and give us a review, we'd love to hear from you, especially hear from commentary on how you guys like it, what you like most. And if there's anything that you'd like to give us for feedback, please hit us up with it. Another place that you can give us some feedback is on our show notes. If you go to photogadventures.com and navigate to our podcast or just look on the main page and you'll see all the different topics that we've thrown up there whether this podcast or another podcast is up there you'll see it you can go in see the show notes and add a comment we'd love to hear from you guys to see what you guys think and if you have any requests hit us up there so this week we're talking about zion national park it's like 229 square miles that's how big it is that's massive i mean i know we barely even dipped our toes in the water of zion national park but i didn't realize that it yeah. was that barely so it's 15 miles long and up to a half mile deep, cut through the reddish and tan colored Navajo sandstone by the Virgin River. And the lowest elevation is 3,666 feet. And that's that's the bottom of... So at the lowest point, it's 3,000 feet point above is, sea level. Yeah, yeah it's 3,600 wow. feet above sea level. And so, and that's at Coal Pits Wash. And then the highest elevation is 8,726 feet. Wow. At Horse Ranch Mountain. One of the main features of Zion includes is mountains, canyons, buttes, mesas, uh, monoliths, rivers, slot canyons, and natural arches. I mean, it's all there. It's crazy. <laughs> no wonder why you can lose an entire month there. Oh, I think I could easily, yeah. I mean, yeah, seriously. Uh, Kolob Canyon was a really cool part of Zion's. It's actually in the northern part of the park. Just really interesting. It's a lot kind of Similar but different. So it was a cool area. We liked it. If you like smooth rocks that are just huge, majestic pillars into the sky, and if you want to capture some really neat god rays coming through there, mm. the sunrise behind them looked awesome. We yeah. had some serious pillars of light coming off of that rock. It was like a major Mars set, I mean, <laughs> but, with, but with green veget vegetation. So I don't it know was... if it's dusty like that every day to get those pillars of light, but that day it was. Yeah. And I wonder if it's most of the time like that, because it's beautiful. Fascinating place. It's cool. So then the question is, why did we go to Zion National Park? This is one of those places where you don't need to really explain why. It's, it's on everyone's bucket list who's at all interested in nature. We're going to have a little bit of a different format for today's podcast. We're going to have a much longer segment one where we talk about this area, Zion National Park, based on a blog post that came from improvephotography.com. We knew about this blog post. I read it. Jim Harmer is the one who wrote it. And it's an awesome photographer's guide to Zion National Park. So if you're going to go to Zion and you're going to bring your camera and you want to know all the cool locations to go and maybe have a graded scale of 1 to 10 on whether it's a cool enough shot for photography, Jim's done the work. And so we followed a lot of it and went through most of those locations that we could during that weekend. So using this blog as a guide, we're going to go through each one of these locations that we went to in the order that we went to them and talk a little bit about our trip. Then we'll talk a little bit about what went well and what we learned. So this first segment will be pretty long. I have a little bit longer episode today. So we're going to start first with Kolob Terrace Road, which is different from Kolob Canyon. Yeah, it's a little different than the main Zion roads as as this kind of goes, starts in the park and then goes into private land and then back in the park again. But you don't need an entrance fee to do it because it's on the outskirts. Yeah, you could go you can there, just drive there without paying. Yeah. So this, it's cool. If you don't want to pay, you can go 
still experience some of it. It's one of the free day hike areas, yeah. Yeah. We were heading out to this cool spot to capture the sunrise. It Mm -hmm. was our first morning that we were there. It's Saturday morning. We knew we wanted a sunrise that had opportunity, but we didn't have chance to actually scout out an area. So using this guide, we knew that it's all along this road. There's a lot of locations you can capture the sunrise. So we were excited to have a spot that gave us lots of options. We parked in the turnoff, and we went up, and we hiked into what was the edge of the rim that you could hike down into, but we had maybe a half an hour left before the sun was rising, so we couldn't hike too far. So we tried to stay on that rim and make something happen. Yeah, we did the best we could. Really pretty red rock, really cool area, but the clouds were not there. We knew this was going to be an astrophotography trip, so we were glad that the clouds weren't there, but sometimes we get lucky where we get kind of the best of both worlds. No clouds at night, but they kind of come in by sunrise, and we get an awesome sunrise, but just not this time. And that little trail, you can hike down. It's really steep, but you can hike down and start walking, and I think it goes down to the river, and you can start walking along the river down there, but I stopped about halfway down. If we go back to Colab Terrace Road, I definitely want to go on that trail that you were on and continue and get down in by the river. I bet we can find something there. Yeah, A few hours hike will probably make that worth it. So next is Watchmen from the Bridge. Now, this bridge is a famous bridge. Photographers line up there and fill it up. It's crazy busy. The park itself doesn't really love that the guys will go there, and it's right on top of the road. It's on the road. I mean, (laughs) you're basically standing in the road. They don't actually like them being there at all, but there's nothing they can really do because it's just like, public it's like a, it's not even like a sidewalk it's like really like it's the it's the shoulder a tiny yeah. shoulder you're standing on like a one foot shoulder it's really i mean it's a not a very wide bridge to begin with it barely fits two cars and so when you have two cars and like a bunch of people piling up against the side of it <laughs> i could see you know, why i can see like someone it. getting hit by that you know and i'm sure they do i'm sure someone gets hit all the time <laughs> on that spot <laughs> So we were following the guide, and the guide said to go in just inside the entrance. You'll see the bridge. You can't miss it. And so we're trying to find it too close to the front of the entrance. Mm. We were coming in, looking, 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 and we were off in the wrong distance. We were up by the by the Watchman Bridge campground, and we were not near the bridge yet. And I found a park ranger and said, we're just trying to find this bridge. And she immediately says, the one that photographers go to? Like, mm-hmm. yes, that one. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, it's back there. She knew exactly what we were talking about yeah, because yeah. photographers, obviously. Yeah. So we found a tiny spot to, spot to park right there. We pull out, we look at it, and we think, this is a good shot. This will be cool with the trees and the curve of the water, but what else is there? And then Brendan noticed. On the map, I noticed there's two more other bridges that go across that same river a little bit further up. So we went out and checked them out. Yeah, just go off the road right there, and it hops on a little walking path, a trail that mm-hmm. they have. And I did like that bridge. It's a different composition, though. It is. If you're, you're a little closer, you've got the the river's not as windy, I guess. It just winds yeah. like the one way, not the two. And so it is different. It is a different composition, but but it does offer you something different than everybody else has already got that shot. Right. It's The bridge, I think, is just kind of lazy because everybody can just walk up to it. There's already, like... 30 people at a time already there. So it's like overkill. That is like location that everybody has already gotten. So going to a different bridge, I'm always thinking of what we can do that can give us a little bit different perspective or be a little bit different than everybody else is doing. So that's why my brain always thinks that way is where can I go the same basic location, but give me a different vantage point, a different composition. And so that my brain's always working that way. So and when you think about it, there's a beautiful night, a beautiful sky. It's perfect for a sunset. Mm. And you're there with 30 other photographers. What's Who's going to post it first? Right. kind of kills 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of competing with who's first instead of having really good quality processing because, dang, you're going to be, everyone else there has your shot. Yeah. It's, it's a very touristy spot. So watching from the bridge, if you follow this guide and you go there, it is beautiful. I'd recommend going only when there is color on the leaves because mm. without color on the leaves or a beautiful, amazing sunset. Or sun rise maybe but sunset I that's guess a good question because the sunrise you got the watchmen back there that are getting lit from the left but then the big obvious rock in your picture on the left side will be in shadow completely huh? in shadow yeah so sunset i guess is the best time. i'm thinking so yeah. too so the next location that we went to we needed a place that we were going to be for astrophotography we weren't going to be inside zion national park for astrophotography plus we had this awesome looking hoodoo that Jim Harmer found. I'm not sure where he first heard about it. It's something that's slightly unknown. People call it Hoodoo City and that little area, but it doesn't show up on the map anywhere as Hoodoo City. So I if think it might actually be called Chimney Rock or something like that. There are places with things called Chimney Rock, but I don't remember that one being called it. Did you see it on I the map? I thought I saw it on the map, yeah. I thought it actually was pinned as chimney rock. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was. Because it looks like a chimney. I mean, it looks like a little fireplace in a chimney. Yeah. Absolutely does. Out in the middle of nowhere on a big rock. <laughs> so this little area of Hoodoo City, you I was thinking when I heard Hoodoo City from Jim and saw the picture of that one hoodoo that there was gonna be there were gonna be many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, really there was just that one big one with some other formations that were cool, but they weren't really mm-hmm. hoodoo-ish. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to picture this area, a forested area where Hop Valley Trail begins, and then it has this big rock outcropping that swells up out of nowhere next to the road. And this rock outcropping is really smooth sandstone, flaky, flaky. Mm. You're walking on it, and it, let's see, how do I picture it? Imagine walking on a topographical map, all those lines that you're seeing. Imagine if you were walking between each one and where you stepped on the line, it had a little bit of a crack, a little bit of flake off. That's what this rock was like. Mm-hmm. It had topographical lines drawn into it that was uh, so wide and vast spread out that you weren't causing any damage that was breaking anything that was making it bad for everyone else. Right. It's, it's terrain you can walk on. It's big, big, big open earth. Yeah, it's massive rock. Plumbing. Yeah, but it just has these really thin areas that are overlapping like an onion that you, when you walk on it, like little, sh- it little cracks a little bit more. It's a little bit more. It'll take a million years to really crack it all off, yeah. but it's there. It's yeah. a really cool, smooth rock surface. It has a swell that goes up and down. Check it out in our video where you see the GoPro footage on the drone. Oh man, it looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize how cool it was until I saw the footage and like, that thing just drops off. There's like a cliff on the other yeah. side of this thing. And it's like 200 feet down or something. It's crazy. And I was just like, wow, like we could have explored around there some more. Like we didn't really do much exploring. No, not that day. We were checking out our location on the rock, but not yeah. around it. Yeah. And there's some really cool places around that rock. And then off to the distance, there's even more cool rock structures. And so the park just really opens up to you. If you just look around, open your eyes and look around. I mean, it's just, there's this cool, amazing stuff. Everywhere. You can lose a day in any one of these locations. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this rock it abruptly comes out of the ground. If you park by Hop Valley Trail, you will have a hard time getting up on it. Right. You want to go past it where the curve of the road is happening, and there's a small little turnoff. We'll show you in the show notes where you want to park. You park right on that, and then you're up high where the rock formation is below you now, and you just walk out on this shelf of dirt and 
rock. And that, pine cones and yeah, dirt. Yeah, lots of pine cones there. And you walk on that, and you work your way over to the Hoodoo City area. It's a very easy hike. It's also a very easy trail to lose track of and get lost on as you're walking through. Now, when I'm talking about getting lost, you lose track of the trail you just barely walked, but you don't get lost. It's very no, easy very to tell where trail. you are. Yeah, you're, you're just walking one direction, but there are some faint trails you can follow, and you lose it every once in a while, and you pick it up again. And you Yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. So very easy hike. You don't want to carry too much with you. We tried carrying all the drone stuff, and it was kind of cumbersome. But uh, it's a very cool area to spend the night. Mm -hmm. Most of my successful ash photography came from Hoodoo City, so I want to talk about that later. Yeah, and I did a time lapse there, which I think turned out pretty good as, as well. Yeah, I can't wait to see it in the video. The next thing, that same day after going from that sunrise hike to going inside the park, seeing the Watchman City, seeing the Watchman from the bridge, and then going back out to Hoodoo City to explore and make sure we knew where we wanted to set up our cameras that night, we still had to go to Canary Creek Falls. But it said it was a 1.25 mile hike, so that should have been easy. Mm-hmm. But it took a while. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was a little wet. Not as bad as it could be. Oh, only because we were so professional at jumping rocks and balancing across rocks. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. When I go back to this location, I'm going to wear those like water socks. Oh yeah, water shoes sock shoes. That, that Absolutely, the boundary awesome. socks and our NRS cool. boundary or something. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely need to bring water socks. If you go to Canary Creek Falls, plan on bringing your backpack. Don't do what I did. I thought. One mile in and a little bit quarter more, that's going to be nothing. I'll just keep myself really light, not bring anything. I didn't even bring extra water. I just brought one thing of water, and that was it. Just mm -hmm. one water bottle. wasn't even that big. And I carried my tripod with my camera attached and thought I was just going to huckleberry fin it out there, holding it over my shoulder. But that was the worst idea. Mm. And the reason why is because... The beginning of the hike, it's very boring looking. You think, ah, this is going to be kind of a stupid place because you're walking on a dirt road and it's going up to a water tower and it looks like you're hiking in just some city's backyard that is kind of gross and industrial. And the dirt road's wide and it goes for quite a while before you actually get into like the trees and Yeah, it doesn't stuff. feel, you're going all uphill on this wide dirt road so you're getting nothing cool out of it and it's hard to do. And so the beginning of the hike, you're thinking, why am I doing this? This is going to suck. <laughs> and then it turns into actual wilderness, and man, does it become wilderness. I think of all the hikes I've done this year, this was the toughest one, not because I got the most tired doing it, but it was just it required a lot from me to succeed going through it. Mm. If you can picture it, roots of trees are up against this creek that you're going up and over a lot of them, and some of the ground has been worn away around the roots so poorly so much of it has worn away from around the roots that you have this big slope, like very, very steep slope that you got to go up, catch the top of the root, and then come back down on the other side of that root. Mm -hmm. So you're climbing over, going under some branches and things that are just in the way, kind of working your way through tight rocks and small places that have the trail going through because it's either this or you're walking in the water. Yeah, so you could see like your younger self or like a little kid really liking this oh, trip. loving it not at the beginning but once they get into the trees yeah it's a playground yeah and if they can just keep hiking through those they think they'd have a lot of fun doing that smaller bodies they got a lot more energy mm -hmm. they'd have a they'd have a i mean we saw lots of kids on that trail and they would look like they're having a blast oh so. yeah 
I mean, no one looked terribly tired from being out there, just mm-hmm. normal sweating in the sun and stuff like that. It wasn't that hard of a hike. It's just you feel like you're going the wrong direction all the time because you're kind of inventing your pathway up and around this creek. You're going cross the creek here, and then you're back on, and like, mm. should we have crossed the creek there? Or is this really where, oh, yeah, this is really where people have gone. Okay, go up here, go down again. And so we were constantly trying to not cross the creek because we didn't have shoes that were waterproof. We had some decent shoes that could keep us pretty nice in splashes and maybe stand in an inch or two deep of water and be okay. But we had to be quick. We couldn't sit there and soak it. And we were trying not to sprain our ankles on slippery rocks and getting through there. It was so much work and so much fun, really. But I was constantly worried about getting wet. And so I was always stressed about it, stressed throughout the whole thing. So next time we're going to wear different shoes, pack a little lighter, but pack more meaningful. And put it in compartments and keep it all nice and snug on my back. Yeah, because there's no reason to really take your camera out before the first falls, there was only one location that we felt was photogenic, and it was kind of only seasonal photogenic. Yeah. And when I look at the pictures, I was working on it this week, actually. It's not that photogenic. It's just the light is coming through thousands of leaves mm-hmm. in this kind of tunnel of trees going up a little river. It's just too busy, isn't it? It is. It's yeah. too busy. It needed to have different time of day. Mm-hmm. That way the light had some contrasting shadows and some depth in the tunnel. And maybe at the fall season with all of it being yellow would be really, really cool. And then the water, the way that the water comes through, it's kind of boring and flat just placid yeah yeah. and then it kind of it looks more like a bathtub draining than it does a really cool river bed that has water and rocks and yeah so we tried that shot and it didn't really work out i tried it too the long exposure i needed that's what i realized and i'll talk about that later is okay why i was ill-equipped for that um it's beautiful for the eyes but it wasn't one of those they could capture with just a quick frame yeah yeah but further up the trail there was some pretty cool bigger rocks big red rocks and there's some you know, like uh, trees around it and stuff like that. And there were some picturesque areas. I did try snapping a few of those, but I think you're right. I don't, I don't know if I'm really going to get much out of those pictures. Hmm. I think the fall is definitely more photogenic. And so, that's why everybody goes there. Yeah, and of that. keep your stuff in your bag up until the first fall will be fine. Mm-hmm. And to put it in perspective, the first falls... People around us were thinking, are we there yet? Oh, my gosh, are we there? Because you're going up and down and around in the water, you just you get thrown off by the 1.25 miles. Mm-hmm. 1.25, it sounds like it's going to be easy. It's not. It's a hard 1.25. Not a tiring, but a hard. Mm-hmm. So people were just ready to be done with it. So much work. Yeah. So people were really sitting. First falls, that's enough, good enough. I haven't been past the first falls myself. I right. don't know what's up there, if it's that cool. You were looking at pictures of it today. There's at least two, maybe three falls total. So, so there's a lot of reason to still go up, but mm-hmm. the first fall is the most photogenic part of the whole trip. From the stuff that you showed me, I'm thinking that's the most photogenic falls. Yeah, so it'd be fun to go back and explore deeper into it and maybe go out to the other side where there's a little opening, kind of a little valley yeah. after the canyon. That might be kind of cool to explore. So I'm, I'm interested in going back for sure. So this should have been said already probably, but if you love slot canyons but don't want to do a slot canyon that takes miles and possible mm. flash flood I- issues, this is your slot canyon hike that you want yeah, to do. Yeah, this absolutely. is a three-hour day hike slot canyon, and yeah. it has those tight moments. You're in water looking up. You've got some really cool slits in the air where you can see the light coming through. 
very good potential for some of those awesome shots that you do see. Yeah. So lastly, talk about the actual falls themselves. Once you get just about 100 yards from the falls, it's give up time. If you were trying to stay dry and you don't have your shoes wet yet and you're thinking, hey, my ankles are dry, my pants are dry, I'm okay, it's give up time. There's no way else but going and trudging through the water at this point. And we went on a low flow time and season too. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I'm sure it gets a lot deeper. At that point, it was probably an inch or two above my ankles when I walked through there. So I had a good six to eight inches of water that I was in. Yeah, because to get the shot you really want, you're going to get wet. So yes, yeah, plan on that. Another thing to mention is don't worry about going around sunset or sunrise. Don't. Go towards the middle of the day, end of the day. If you're going to go around September like we did, go towards the afternoon when the light is coming from the later end of the day. You don't want it to be early morning sunlight or noon sunlight. Anything after 1 o'clock is probably going to be great because the light is shining into the Slot Canyon more. It's lighting up the walls above the waterfall, and it's bringing out the red. I mean, there's a section Mm. of the wall there that is so red that I had to bring it down in post-processing instead of bringing it up. It's so high, too. The walls are so tall that you've got to get you know, more light in there. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Around one o'clock and between one and four, I guess. Is yeah, the probably the yeah. best. We ended up being there around three o'clock. No, we ended up getting there around 430. Yeah, we were trying to get there. Yeah. So we were hiking out at 630. Yeah, something like that. Oh my yeah. gads. So this thing takes a long time to get in. It's a long 1.25 miles. And then when you get there, you have this really it's not ornate. It's just full of character. It's just this. Mm. And mind you, if you're listening to this months from now, even years, the log might've changed, but there's this really cool looking log that has a metal iron ladder that was screwed into it. Yeah. Well, it's connected in the middle of the thing. So unlike a traditional ladder, it has sides on both sides. This is the, it's all connected in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at the letter H on its side going up, and Mm -hmm. that crossbeam of the H is the vertical line up the log. Yeah. 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 It's really cool looking. Check out the pictures on our website at photogadventures.com. It is a very neat area. All right, this is our last area that we went to in Zion National Park following Jim Harmer's Photographer's Guide to Zion National Park. And that area, we are planning on going there right after the Canary Creek Falls. We thought 1.25 miles will be done. We'll be back. We can get there for the sunset. And we even were splitting up where I was going to the bridge for sunset and Brendan was going to the overlook for the sunset. But that just didn't work out with timing. Yeah. So once again, we missed a sunset, but it was okay because honestly, other than getting light for Brendan's shot at the Canyon Overlook, we wouldn't have benefited from a nice sunset. The sunset wouldn't have been there. It was just a blue sky that got some light. Yeah. So we, so I mean, we did stick around long enough to get some pictures of the Milky Way as the sun went darker and darker and darker. We finally got some dark sky and we could get some Milky Way shots above that. But still, then again, it was just a black yeah bottom silhouette with the milky way over it so nothing really that exciting but we did meet a guy out there and help him yeah madu. You know, we met him and we helped madu take some better shots of the milky way which he hadn't really done before so we got to made we kind of you know co-horsed him to stay a little bit longer <laughs> yeah, he was on his way out. Hour, 40 minutes man you're gonna appreciate it and yeah he was having fun so it was cool 
and he had a 6D camera, which I really was excited to get. I was getting my Canon 60 soon, and I knew it. This was the last trip I was taking before I sold my Canon 70D, and he had a 60, so I just sat there with jealousy and watched him. I gave him my Tamron 15 to 30 to try it out on his camera, and uh, we did some Milky Way shots. Yeah, and he already had the 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 Canon 16 to 35 L glass, yeah. So he had so it's really comparable. Good lens. You know, it's a good lens. Oh, it's better. I don't think he had the Mark II, though. I think he just had the, the the Mark One. Oh, okay. So maybe it was very comparable. Yeah, he had a great combination, and he was already able to use it to its full extent and create some great Milky Way shots. And then with the Tamron, he was able to play with that a little bit. That was cool. And I think he liked that. And so, yeah, it was neat. It was neat. Yeah, the guy was in the military. He's a he's a medical officer. He's a medical officer in the military, and he is serving in Colorado right now. And he's been in Hawaii, and so mm-hmm. we made an agreement that when we go to Hawaii, that he'll be our guide. Even if it's just virtually, he says he's got some spots he can plot on the map. And wow, man, I can't wait. That'd be a fun trip. <laughs> so the Canyon Overlook. If there is just one hike that your family does, say you're in Zion for one day. Do the Canyon Overlook hike. Now, mind you, with kids, it's a very safe trail, but it also has some very steep cliffs, some very high rocks that they can fall off of. Just uh, keep them with you on the trail. And if you go at sunset, because it's so awesome Mm. out there at sunset, don't forget to bring something with light. If you have a camera, if you have your cell phone on you that has a flashlight, then you're fine, really. But bring a headlamp. That's the best way to do it. Easiest way to hike out of there because it gets pitch black. The, the yeah. road to the Canyon Overlook, too, has this awesome tunnel that you drive through. And just even though I'm 35 years old, I was like a kid going through there. I was well, like, yeah, because the, the plaque on the sign right before you go through the tunnel says it's 1.1 miles. And I was like, <laughs> there's no way that's there's no way this, this is a that mile long. long tunnel. <laughs> and we were driving and driving. Sure enough. And there's I mean, windows. There's yeah. big open windows as you're driving through where you can see out into the canyon. Yeah, it's crazy. And we can so see cool. them coming up. You can see the windows. You can see the lights going through them. You're like, wait a minute. What the, what is that? <laughs> and yeah, I don't know if, it, and I, want, I think it's mostly for air ventilation, but it's, it's cool. I mean, I've never gone through mono, a mile tunnel before, I don't think, in a car. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. It's an awesome windy road all the way up. Then you got a tunnel. Then you get out right away on the right. You park and you hike up a really cool trail. So if anything, make sure you hit the Canyon Overlook. Yeah, it's pretty much a must must do. As a photographer, your best photography is going to be at sunset. And I would try and get the car trails, get some car light trails as they're going through. The, the windy road is right below you. You'll see in the blog post from Jim Harmer his awesome shot of it. We were trying to recreate that, and it would have been awesome if we could have. Yeah. All right, so that is our breakdown of our trip into Zion National Park, all the locations we went to. We're going to go ahead and take our first break after talking to you guys for almost 30 minutes, and then we'll come back and talk about what went well with our photography, what could have gone better, what we've learned from the trip, and then we'll take another break and go into gear time with Brendan. Welcome back, everybody, to the Photog Adventures podcast. I hope you took a little moment there in the four seconds I gave you to get onto iTunes and get a review out there for us. If anything, we just want to hear from you about what you're liking on the show, what things you want to hear more of. We'll take that into our show and make it better. 
So what went well? What went well for me is um, a lot of things went well, and it was a good couple days. And so it's hard to remember what the little nuances went well. But I know I got some yeah. good pictures, and I know that my time lapses went well. You know, so um, the Hoodoo City time lapse went really well, and so did the Kolob Canyon um, time lapse. We just parked, you know, out in the parking lot at Kolob Canyon, pointed our cameras up, and forgot which way the Milky Way was going to rise, or <laughs> which way the moon was going to rise. Sorry, in the Milky Way, and it ended up being awesome because the moon rose and lit up those rocks and we could see the rock detail in the time lapse. It was fantastic. Yeah, I don't know if I was tired or if I was just completely having a moment where I was an idiot, but I could see where the Big Dipper was. I knew where the Milky Way core was, and yet I had completely flip-flopped where I said the moon was going to rise. I said it was going to rise in the west, and it was rising in the east, of course. Right. And we pointed both our cameras over there where rocks were thinking, okay, if the moon rises over here, it's going to light up the face of all those rocks. That's going to be awesome. And it kind of did. On one of that side, yeah, yeah the far right side. It was side. kind of like the highlight silhouette kind of scenario, and it still looks really cool. So. And having the moon rise like that, yeah, it gets blown out and clipped, but it's really cool looking seeing that thing pop up out of there. Yeah, it looks super bright, but it's only like, what, it was up maybe 30%, 33% brightness, yeah. something like that. It looks like a full circle when you see it in the picture all blown yeah. out, but it is a sliver of a moon. Crazy. So that was kind of cool. I think that worked out really well. The Hoodoo City time lapse I did worked out well because my my uh, I used my headlamp as a light source. Oh yeah. And I kind of like covered some stuff over it and kind of kind of block because it's really harsh bright light. So I like put it up against a rock facing backwards, so it kind of like indirect lighting because you want your light to be really really soft when you're doing a twenty or thirty second exposure. You don't need a whole lot of light. Yeah. You know, you need just a very subtle amount of light and it'll turn out well. If there's one thing that you seem to be about, it's about creative ways of using nature around your light to diffuse it. Yeah. It's like you don't bring something. You're always using some crazy scheme with the with the nature there and blocking it and turning it and reflecting it. And, and somehow it feels more natural. It feels more real some, somehow. Yeah, that's a good you know? point. It probably does add that feel to it because the atmosphere of nature did it. Yeah, and so that way I'm not getting like a direct light. I'm not getting highlights. I'm not getting burnout. Mm, and so yeah. by indirect lighting, you know, like sometimes I'll pile up like a little bit of rocks and then point my light into that little cave of rocks. And that way it's just this nice soft light emitting from this rock structure. Everything that bounces off of those little pebbles is what's lighting your scene. Right, and so... Because you don't need a lot of light. And so um, the banana peel worked before. Sometimes indirect lighting into a rock will work. At the train trestle, you were using other things there? Yeah, I was using, um, I was kind of backlighting it in a way too, at the train trestle with the little LED box that I have. And I did order a new LED. Really? You have an LED panel? Panel that I'm going to, that's supposed to be a high CRI. And it's really? supposed to be cool so i'm gonna try it out <laughs> and it wasn't very expensive so quickly for those of you who don't understand high cri means that it's a color rate index and a rate index color range yeah well it just it just reproduces like you're gonna say it i'm gonna say it for you it just reproduces the truer color in the object you're shining on yeah exactly and so if you have a bulb that is any other thing than cri you're gonna have something that's a color cast that gives it a blue or a warm right this one is not it's gonna bring out a natural color of the item it's pointing at yeah so i saw this on ebay said a high cri so like sweet it was like 40 bucks i'm like all right 
try it out. Yeah, so no kidding. I'm excited to, to bring that out next time and, and check that out. So my headlamp, I was excited about because I did use my headlamp and it stayed lit all night. That's the crazy thing is you turned it on and left it on all night long. Yeah, and so I, there is a high and low power mode. So I did put in low power mode. Oh, okay. So there's high, low, and then there's a red LEDs for this headlamp. And I put it in low power mode. And these batteries that it takes are those 18650 batteries. They're like big double A's. They look like a double A and a half. They look like a toy, but they're really batteries. Yeah. So my headlamp takes two of those. And between the two of them, and I, that wasn't even like fully charged. Like I used them before. So I was kind of really excited to see that that thing lasted all night long on those two batteries. And uh, I thought for it made sure time I was going to wake out. up. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I thought for sure I was going to wake up and see that thing dead. Yeah, me too. And when I looked, I was like, wow, it's still on. And the moon rose again because it was just the second night mm-hmm. we were there. The moon rose again. And at the end of the time lapse, you can see the moon rising and you can see the shadows of the trees and stuff being cast oh, cool. and moving along the structure just before the video ends. I was like, oh, man, I wish I would have like, kept it going longer. <laughs> you haven't shared with me that time lapse. I wish I could see it. I, th- that was the second night that we had the moon. And the first night after that moon rose and I woke up at 4 a.m. with it or 3 a.m. with mm. it because it's so bright after having nothing there. Right. That I was like, the second night, I am not sleeping with that moon in my face. And yet we're up there on Hoodoo City and the only direction I can lay down this chair that I have on, that's one of those zero gravity chairs that you lean back and it becomes like a laid down fully chair. The only direction I can face that without falling off the hill was towards the moon so once again i was moon bathing and woke up at 3 a.m right with it good morning moon thanks for messing up my sleep Mm, and yeah it's it's there's not a whole lot of flat surfaces out there it's very interesting and it's easy to walk on but it's not level at all (laughs) there's no level ground so i actually had a hammock so i was actually you know finding a place between trees i could set that thing up and it worked out i think better for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that hammock we're going to talk about with what we could learned on that trip. So before we go into that section, I'm going to say my last what went well. And I'm only going to mention a little bit of it because I'm going to talk about it in the tips of the week. Um, star trails. This was my first star trail shot. I hadn't to this point done a legit real time-lapse attempt at getting my star trails. And so what I knew I was going to need set up my shot, get something interesting in the foreground. And the Hoodoo City was perfect mm-hmm. because that chimney rock thing has a nice flat point that everything builds up to. And I thought, this is perfect. There's Polaris right there, the North Star. I can line it up right at the top of the chimney and then all these stars circling around it. This is going to be golden. Mm. So I set up my camera there and I just had one of those lightning strike, struck gold moments where it's just... <laughs> You get lucky. Everything else was experience that got me there, but this is my first Star Trail shot, and so I just got lucky. And there's some elements that made it work and some elements that made it not work that I'm going to talk more specifically in Tips of the Week. Okay. We were talking about what we learned from this trip. You said your hammock. Go ahead and jump into the hammock right now because so, I was jealous of that. Yeah, so I got a hammock because I saw some campers with the hammock way long time ago when I was at Bryce with my family years ago. I thought that's the coolest idea I've ever seen. Like, oh, of yeah. course, they, these three guys set these hammocks against these trees, 
and they just like zipped themselves up. I think they're like they're like they're like hammock tents, the ones that I that they had. Like they're cocoons. Yeah, they, they zip themselves up and like <laughs> we're taking a nap in the middle of the day. And I'm just like that is brilliant. <laughs> and so I've always it's been on back in my mind since then. So when I saw the chance to get a hammock for like fifteen bucks, I was like, okay, why not? You know? That was only a fifteen dollar hammock. Yeah, they're really cheap. Wow. Like you can get more expensive ones up to a hundred and plus. Oh yeah, there's one I'm looking at. The it's like hammock tents. Yeah, or the ones that zip up all the way and have the netting and all that stuff. But yeah. just a straight hammock, it's like $15. And I bought another one that's bigger because I found out the one that I had is a little too short, a little too small for me. So I'm, I'm about six foot. Like it couldn't reach the trees too short? I felt like I was, I felt like I needed a little bit more room between end to end. Oh, so the areas where like it has the squished. material like that my feet you were lay getting, on. Yeah, like my feet were getting a little too tight. My head was a little too tight. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so I needed a little bit more length. Some more material there before it starts tying to the tree where right. your feet and head can spread out. Right. So I've got okay. a longer one for 10 bucks more, a little bit wider, and about two feet long or something like that. So it should be really nice. Wow. So I'm excited to try the new one out. Maybe not in the freezing cold. Maybe in the spring or summer. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that was the thing that you didn't like about so it. So what I didn't like about that experience was that my back actually started getting cold. So I don't know if you guys ever have ever slept on a waterbed that's not heated. Now in Arizona, I did all the time when I was a teenager, I had a waterbed that didn't heat it <laughs> and it felt yeah, great because I could as a teenager. cool because the room, because you know, the room temperature is always like over 70 degrees and it would bug the heck out of me. And so my room sleeping temperature has to be below 70 or I'm not comfortable. So in a waterbed with no heater, it's perfect. You can stay nice and cool with a warm <laughs> blanket. You know what I mean? That and it felt sense. like that all over again. Like my back was all cold but the top was warm. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not used to this. And so <laughs> I didn't sleep that well. And I realized I should have had some insulation in between, like at least like a foam mat or maybe like a moving blanket or something just to buffer. Do you have one of those the thermo rests or anything? Or? Yeah, and I do now. And I, did, and I technically could have just brought a you know moving blanket or something, but I didn't bring it with me on the trip. So that's what I'm going to do differently next time with the hammock. Just put a little bit of insulation between you and the, your sleeping bag in the hammock, and you should be good. So what I learned from this trip, I actually pulled out an interesting situation that I never thought would happen. We're light painting, and in this area, we had an overlook where there was this uh, end of the trail. Rock kind of went up a hill to these trees. Mm -hmm. So it looked like a perfect place for me to put this down, get my camera so I can see lots of good foreground that leads up to this tree and leads up to the Milky Way. If you ever seen Aaron Bobnick or Ted Gore's pictures, you see a lot of foreground elements that carry you through the picture up until the interesting sunset that's in the distance. And my Milky Way was going to be that situation. So I thought this was going to be perfect. What I'm finding out is that light painting can actually pull your foreground out of your image and actually make it look not believable. It wasn't, I don't even know exactly what we could have done differently. It looks superimposed. It does, it does. Mm. It looks composited in, like it's not real. Now, there's a couple factors working against me here. We were on this ridge where there's nothing else to the left and right, and there was nothing else behind my trees. Oh. So really it was sky, Milky Way, trees and rock and think about more of a driveway length of rock going up a hill to a couple trees and bushes so it wasn't like this is just three rocks and a tree sitting in front of a sky it's a driveway length stretch of land with bushes trees and rocks all over the place and so it looks like it should have been fine and it against everything else 
it looks completely fake. Mm. If you're light painting, you need to do something about making it look fake. And I think a part of the reason why it looked fake is that we were light painting where we could. We, you didn't have a ton of terrain that you could go walk against to get further from my tree. Mm-hmm. You were still really close to those bushes. And in some places on the rock, you were practically on top of them instead of being way far back because the trail, the ridge, all that area didn't allow him to be further away. So when you're light painting, make sure you're as far away as you can be, but still light it. Don't be really close and make sure that your direction is really obtuse from where your camera is instead of acute. So if it looks like the light's coming from behind the camera or next to the camera, it looks a little bit more fake, or at least it it, it doesn't have the nice contrast and texture on the objects you're looking at unless it's at a 90 degree angle from the camera or even further and more obtuse because... I'm thinking if you had been further out and the angle of light was coming from somewhere else, from my angle, what I was looking at those bushes wouldn't have been so lit up. Mm-hmm. They would have had shape and highlights. They wouldn't have had just blown out giant. I mean, we're talking the light is fine. It's not like I'm clipping, but because it's just so well lit, it's just too well lit. Almost like when a flash, almost like when you yeah. take a flash picture and everything looks yes. kind of weird because of that. Exactly. It floods the entire area so well, so uniformly, it looks fake. So that reminds me of something that Royce was talking about when we were at Mirror Lake because he's, he uses these tall light stands to bring his light as high, up to 10 feet high, I think he said, yeah. 8 to 10 feet. And then it gives you more of an impression of a natural source of light, which is usually above our heads. And so doing that creates more natural shadows and... You know, you and it's lit better, and he has very far away too. Like he had them eight, eight to ten feet up, and they're on the other side like of where he's shooting. Two hundred yards away. Oh yeah, like really far, and so and he had like a couple of them to like bounce them out some more and stuff. And so I'm taking a note from that, and I'm I'm gonna bring um, a couple light like a light stand when I get my light panel, and we'll experiment with that. Okay, as let's an do. option. So yeah. I've tried. Two separate days on this processing of this picture, and I just can't seem to find a balance. I can bring it way down, but then when I do that, it seems like I'm losing too much detail, and it Mm, looks like it's just fading and ghosting into the background instead of being dimmer. So just know that your light painting can ruin your foreground if you either have it too bright, if you have it at a weird angle that is just going to make it look unnatural. In this specific situation, man, light painting made it look fake, and it it's too bad. Yeah. It's a nice Milky Way, too. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that was disappointing to me was the Overlook. Again, it was a classic fail of not getting there enough time with enough light. Yeah. We were classic. rushing to get there before sunset, and we missed it. And so we just I think we just tried to pack in so much that trip. It's true. There's so many cool places to go visit. I mean, it wasn't us being lazy because we were getting sodas. It was just that... <laughs> right. We were at Canaric Creek Falls, and it was too awesome. Yeah, and then we had to drive all the way around the, yeah. the park to get back to where we wanted. And so I just knew it, too. When I was taking those pictures of the trails, of the car trails, and doing my exposures, I, they looked fine on the camera LCD screen as they were supposed to, like black and car trails. That's all that ever was, and I couldn't pull out any detail the rocks if I did, it was super, super noisy and just gross. And so just the whole thing is just, I knew when I was taking the pictures, Tim was just like, oh, dang it, these aren't going to be as good as I want them to be. 
So, and it was true. When I brought them home and I looked at them, I was like, ah, yep, can't do anything with these. It's just, right. Bleh. Yeah, that was a bummer. You know, if you're going to go to a place like this and you're going to go to like an overlook like we did, if you're going to go to Zion's and want to do an overlook shot and you want to do the car trails like you saw in some of those pictures online, then you want to get there before the sun is set. You need to get some pictures of the actual rocks. And if you've got clouds in the sky, even better. Get some really cool, epic, you know, sunset pictures and then stick around for the light to go down all the way. And then you can get your car trails and superimpose them into the same shot. So, and then you get the best of both worlds. I got the lower end of that world and was not happy with it. So, so, The last thing I want to bring up on what I learned from this trip, and then we'll go into a last break and do gear time, is compromising in your composition just won't work. And what I mean by that is simply, if you were painting a picture and you were painting this area of yellow flowers, and you went ahead and painted the yellow flowers, would you put a gap in there? Would you paint a gap in your yellow flowers? No, of course you wouldn't. You'd paint a solid, full field of yellow flowers. In my moment of that sunrise on the Kolob Terrace Road, I had some yellow flowers that were interesting, and I thought, you know what? These are going to look awesome when the sun rises. When the sun hits these, they're going to glow yellow. The problem I had was in my tiny LCD panel in the back, the, the gap that I did see in the yellow flowers, I thought, oh, you know, it's small. It's not that big a deal. The majority of the space is taken up by yellow flowers. It'll be okay. It'll be okay for the lower half of my composition with the sunrise above it with red rocks. I get back home on the computer, and I look at it, and instead of being just a small little gap of no flowers right here, it's pretty much just lacking flowers on all one side with a little bit of yellow flowers on the left side and most of them on the right side. Mm. And then between my red rock and the horizon where the sunrise is happening, there's a cactus plant. The cactus plant doesn't have any yellow flowers. It's just kind of in front of the yellow flowers. It looked terrible in a big screen. Mm. The compromise I made in that composition was, you know what? These yellow flowers are really going to glow. They're not the perfect shape but I can work with this, and they're in front of my red rock, so I'll be fine. In reality, when I saw the full-frame picture, it's not fine. The compromise you make is not going to work in your composition because you're not going to compose a painting that you're in control of every element and paint in gaps, paint in those compromises. If you're having something in frame and you know it's a compromise to have it in frame and you're not going to clone it out or fix it in some way in post that you know you're going to do, Don't do it. Change your composition. Move around even more. You might be getting close to the sunrise, and you think, Mm. I got to hurry. Just move again. I definitely had moved several times already at that point, and I was ready to settle in, and I wanted the yellow flowers. And And you were already really low to the ground, right? Oh, yeah, I was right on top of them. I mean, I was crouched over one of the legs of my tripod. I was so close to the ground, and so it was crazy flat. It's not that I needed to go lower. What I needed to do was hike more and find a different plant because right oh, in that area okay. were yellow flowers here, but they weren't anywhere else. It's not like I had an option right there. Right. I would have had to go another you know, quarter of a mile probably to find another good plant that maybe was more full, mm. and then my frame would be set up. Or... What I probably could have done in that exact area is zoom into 30 millimeter, focus down on the right side where all those yellow yellow flowers were instead of my wider angle, and then frame a different shot. I was Mm, trying so hard mm -hmm. to get the red rock 
the the location where the Milky where the Milky Way the location where the sunrise would happen, and my yellow flowers that I was at a very wide angle with all this extra stuff in frame. So is this kind of like an example of trying to get everything in at on one shot and not really working out because you're trying to get too much. In a way, it's part of that. Because part of the reason why I wouldn't move my composition is because I was thinking more about getting in the sun and getting in the red rock. Because we didn't have any mm-hmm. clouds in the sky. So I wanted a starburst. I wanted the sunburst right. happening. So right. I wanted the sun in the frame, one of the red rocks in the frame. And so zooming in, cut out one of those. Right. So yes, it did keep me from doing a different change right there because of that reason. But it was also that in my small LCD frame, I saw a small hole in the yellow flowers, but for the most part, they were there. I thought it would be okay. I made a compromise. Mm. If I hadn't done that or hadn't thought it would be fine, I would have been better off. Because when I come back and look at that picture on here, it wasn't even just, well, I duplicate those flowers on the left side and I'm fine. Composition and everything's golden. I mean, it was just nothing. Mm. Mm -hmm. It was one of the few times where I thought I had a portfolio piece that turned out to be so far from portfolio piece (laughs) i didn't even bother trying to process it a little bit yeah yeah no i feel you we all we all get those (laughs) we all do it so we're gonna go ahead and take our last break and our longest podcast ever thank you for listening we really appreciate it and we'll come back and do gear time and tip of the week All right, guys, welcome to Gear Time. Today we're going to talk about audio stuff, which is not really related to camera stuff, really, but kind of is. Yeah, if you go out there and record yourself on a YouTube video, you do want to know this stuff. Yeah, because you know, you see the you see the videos where there's stunning visuals and the audio is lacking at best. Well, that's like three of our first photog adventures. Yeah, and we don't want to be those guys. <laughs> no, we, there's plenty of examples anymore. of bad production and audio. People want to be able to hear you. And if you're going to start doing your own videos, what, we, what we've been using is this Tascam DR60D. Now, I've got the older model, which is this the Mark I. There's currently a Mark II out in the market, and it's cheaper than the Mark I, so just buy the Mark II. It's on Amazon for less than $200. If you need something to plug in some professional-level microphones and get some good audio, this is um, a pretty good place to start. There are other options. Um, there is a slightly cheaper one that Tascam makes, which is the DR40, I believe. And there's a 70 as well. So just depending on what your budget is, what your needs are, um, these are all very similar models. And some are more portable than others, but most of them are battery-powered. And so this is the very device we're using now for our podcast. Yeah, so great. you can tell the quality is pretty good. And the newer version even has even better. So the difference between our... The, the difference between my Tascam and the new one is that there's better preamps. Um, there's better electronics for your microphones. So you're going to get slightly better quality even than this one. And I'm really impressed with the quality on this. So um, we currently have this thing plugged into a USB power source right into the wall. So it just records forever. It's sitting mounted on a tripod in front of our recording studio booth. And then we can just unpack, unstrap it and hook it to our backpacks and record audio out in the field. So yes, it's just so last week we had it hanging on a carabiner just on one of the bars and that recorded everything for gear time. Yeah, so it's a fantastic little device and I'm so glad I bought it 
and I intended on using it for video production years ago for a different project, and it just totally comes in handy. We I'm just we just like, hey, let's try this out. We busted it out, and pff, perfect solution so far for what we need. So we've both got our mics hooked up to it, and we're really enjoying the the workflow. It's really easy to use. It takes an SD card, so when you're done recording, you just pop that thing out, plug in your computer, download the audio. You can mix it and edit whatever, and uh, yeah, it's great. So the one we have is the the DR-60D, and if you looked it up on Amazon, there's going to be a Mark II version with red poles, and uh, that's the one you want. It, takes, it offers two XLR inputs and two mini phono inputs. So if you get microphones, a little microphone like a lapel mic, or if it's a bigger mic with the XLR input, it can accommodate that. Uh, it's got mixing built in. It's got panning. Uh, you can do four-way um, recording and four, like four tracks simultaneously. So if you've got you two and a couple of their friends for a podcast or if you're out doing something and there's four people you want to mic them all up with wireless mics, go at it, man. This thing will handle it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun to use, and it's been really great for us. So. You can check out the full specs at TazCam.com, and that is the DR60D. So now the tip of the week. I want to talk about the Star Trail shot that went so well. Now here's a couple things, I point, little extra details I want to point out about it so that if you're considering going and getting your own Star Trail shot, here's some things that you should consider. Now I captured from 12.21 a.m. till 3.11 a.m. in the morning, and that gave me 470 frames, and when I put them all together, it's too bright. It was madness. It is. It's madness. It's not like it's impossible to see and it's just a big white shot. It's just the concentric circles are all on top of each other because there's another star every millimeter, and that star travels on the screen, the full circle or most of the circle, and it draws these really bright lines so close and dense to each other, it's not that great. Yeah. And my mistake was is I kept my ISO up at 4,000, and then I had my 20-second shutter still going. I can keep my 20-second shutter because the star trails are fine if it moves at all, and I didn't care that it moved a little bit each shot, so 20-second was fine. I just got to bring my ISO way down, just change my exposure. If I can get fewer stars by either having a shorter shutter speed or lesser ISO, that's the solution because I ended up with a shot that was way too bright, way too busy. How do I solve it? Well, let me just tell you how I was able to solve it. If you do make the mistake that I did or you find out that in this case it just doesn't look that good, in my situation, I had a chimney rock hoodoo that had its own busy lines all over it. And so just an entire picture, top and bottom, that had lines everywhere, it just wasn't going to be worth it. And so I needed to find a way of resolving that. And this is how I resolved it. So my shot of 470 frames, I just went ahead and used half of them. I tried different ramping. I tried only 100. I tried 200. I tried 300 and 400. I liked it most in this situation. It'll be different for you using 200 frames. If I used them as they were, I had the concentric circles, but I didn't have as many. I had shorter ones, and that did help bring it down from the bright craziness of all 400 frames, but it was still really, really bright and still really, really full. 
So if you use StarStack software, this is what I use, StarStack. So you could also do it by hand in Photoshop. In StarStacks, they have an option right there that you can click a box. You tell it to use these pictures, process them, but also try Comet. You use Comet mode, it gives like a lower opacity tail at the very beginning, and then the very latest of the star trail is gonna have full brightness, and it's all gonna ramp up to look like an awesome comet flying through the sky. It took away all of the brightness that I had problems with before, and it brought the picture down to a nice mellow, blue mostly with highlights of the stars. If you want to do it in Photoshop manually, you can. You don't have to use StarStack software. You can go into Photoshop and if you have 100 frames, you start off at 1% on your first frame and go ramp up a percent each one. If you have only 50 frames, you go ahead and do you know two every time. So you just figure it out. You just evenly ramp from 1% all the way up until 100%. In some situations, a full concentric circle on your star trail is going to look neater. In some situations, it's nicer if it's really, really bright. And in some situations, it's nicer if it's fewer stars, fewer circles in the shot, and then that looks better in your frame. And in my situation, I needed it to go even further and be comet mode. The last thing I would put out there as advice is that I believed up until now I needed a full 8, 10 hours to make my star trail look cool. Mm. Really, it's just those like couple dozen stars at Polaris that aren't going to make a full line. Everything else moves so much throughout the night sky that a few hours, three, four, is plenty. Don't worry about how much time you give it. At least give it two hours and you'll have plenty of star trail for what you're looking for. And it just depends on what you're aiming for, whether you're not you need more or less and just go with that. But I fully recommend lower exposure. Don't get as many stars. Lower your ISO or lower your shutter speed so that you don't see as many, so that you have more definition between each line, and you will like the balance of that a whole lot more. And I love the way that picture turned out. Like oh, I love the comet mode and how it gives this really cool, like almost like furry, like I don't even know. the text, It's just the texture is really cool, really awesome. It looks like clipped hair in these different layers oh, yeah. and it just, it's just got that really cool, like kind of organic, but kind of not look and feel to it. So it's, it's really neat. Thanks a lot. I enjoy it. I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you guys listening. We thank you for coming along with us on another Photog Adventure podcast. And next week we'll be talking about our trip of launching balloon into space with our GoPros attached. As of this recording, we have tried two different weekends to locate our payload that came down with our GoPros attached, dun, and dun, dun. <laughs> we have not found it yet in the desert out there west of the Great Salt Lake. So we are going again tomorrow, and we're going to spend the entire day out in that desert. We have an area that we haven't searched and combed through as much as another area, and we believe we're going to find it. And so this time next week, we'll be talking about finding that footage, what it looks like, and how it goes, and we'll get that photog adventure up there on YouTube so you can check it out. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day.